Hello, I'm Sue Nelson, and thanks for joining me on Create the Future, a podcast brought to you by the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering. We're bringing a touch of Hollywood glamour to the podcast this time with two engineers whose companies have, between them, won Oscar nominations for visual effects on The Lion King, Gladiator, Life of Pi, the most recent Jungle Book, and won an Oscar for the hugely successful First World War I movie, 1917. They are Roy Trosh, Vice President, Global Systems Architecture at Technicolor, and David Spilsbury, Chief Technology Officer for Advertising at the Moving Picture Company, or MPC, in Soho, London, which is where we are now. Um, Let's start with you, David. What goes on here? And give us a scale of the building, because you're split up into two buildings, aren't you? Yeah. There's about 800 people in Soho working on visual effects for both TV commercials and uh, feature film VFX. Uh, We also have offices around the world. London is where we started and where most of the global architecture sits, but that supports offices in New York, LA, Chicago, uh, Bangalore and Shanghai. Um, we have a, a satellite office in Amsterdam, so we really have a global presence. Roy, as um, I gave that long list of, and that's just a short, really, a short highlights of uh, some of the films that have uh, been nominated or, or won Oscars, I think we have to start with what's the difference between visual effects and special effects? Um, some people like to differentiate it by saying that special effects are, are what's on set, so the explosions, the, um, you know, all, the, all the, the, the real physical effects that actually happen on, on set. Um, VFX is what's ha- what happens after. It's the, it's the, the post-production. So, um, so if you think of it as um, special effects being production and VFX being post-production, is how I like to think of it. So give me an example then of, of a visual effect with a particular uh, film that we know of. Which, which one of you would like to answer that? <laughs> Um, so a visual effect would be a set extension or, uh, you know, it's in, uh, in, say, 1917, where you've got explosions going off as special effects, you might add more explosions as a visual effect and matching the two makes it seem real. So a lot of, a lot of the time you won't recognise a visual effect if it's done well. Now, this company, MPC, you've been involved with things that, well, for me as a sci-fi fan, you know, I, I was just loved X-Men, Blade Runner, the 2014 IM1, um, Jumanji, Ghostbusters. Um, give me an example where uh, a visual effects has been used in one of those films where perhaps people haven't, haven't realised it was, it, it was there. Well, so sci-fi is actually an interesting category because um, it is science fiction, so you have to create a set um, and then extend it out into space or, or a different planet. Um, so there's a lot of set building that goes on so that the, the actors can feel like they're in you know, the environment that they're in, but then obviously you know, all of the planets... Um, one of the um, projects we worked on was Sunshine from Danny Boyle, and having all of the science feeding into the visual effects. Obviously, you can't go that close to the sun, but you have to recreate it as accurately as you can from the science, but also uh, make it look visually appealing. But in in Harry Potter, for instance, Mm -hmm. um, people would physically have a a wand in their hand, for instance, Mm -hmm. but 
the visual effects would add something extra. Add the sparkle and the magic to Harry Potter's wand. So um, you wave it. I mean, the classic one is the lightsaber in Star Wars, where it's you know it's a broomstick, and they actually do hit each other, but it glows and makes that sound, and that's how you add those visual effects to enhance what's going on. So Harry Potter, you know, NPC worked on the whole Harry Potter series and added lots of magic to the scenes. Now, Roy, your um, Technicolor is, is actually just five minutes away from where we are now, and there's a connection between Technicolor and NPC. Um, well, Technicolor's actually the, the company that owns multiple companies around the world now, including a moving picture company and The Mill and uh, Mr X, Miracross. Um So, yes, Techn- Technicolor owns a lot of uh, VFX companies around, around the world now, absolutely. And I, I've, I've seen that you've done the, the latest um, Avenue 5 um, series with Hugh Laurie that's on um, Sky, I, I believe, and Vikings and, and The Messiah, which I've just watched on, on Netflix. For, for, for you, where does the engineering come in all, in all this? Um, well, so the, the Technicolor companies not only work on these, you know, blockbuster um, Hollywood movies, but also there's a, there's a, a lot of um, what, what's called like streaming or um, episodic work that's being worked on at the moment. And, and we've noticed that um, you know, Netflix, for instance, and, and the, the, the Apple channel and also, um, have meant that there's a, now a, a demand for a lot of these long-form episodic um, um, series, which we add and work on and, and add the, the VFX. So the fact, as David was saying earlier, the fact that we have um, multiple offices now around the world working on these these um, these uh, productions means that we we actually spend a lot of time just moving data around the world. Um, so um, part of what we're doing at the moment is you know, we're, we're, we're what we do what we call follow the sun. So as as various parts of the world light up in the morning, they they work on on shots. And when they go to bed at night, they, they then synchronise them to the next time zone and then the people in the next time zone start to work on them. So we're, David and I are involved quite heavily in, in efficient and clever ways of, of moving data around the world such that we don't duplicate data because obviously you don't be working on the wrong versions. Um, and also using the cloud a lot um, and actually more and more and more to do a lot of the um, computer-intensive um, rendering and production of frames that we have to do. And, and how did you start yourself? How did your career begin? Oh, well, I got a, um, a degree in electronic engineering many, many years ago now, um, back in the... Back in the, uh, the dark ages? Well, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's really rude, isn't well, it? Thank, yeah, thanks for that. Um, um, so, yeah, it was uh, electronic engineering in, uh, in those days. And I was lucky enough to uh, be, be sponsored through there by, uh, by a company. So I was, I was like a student apprentice going through... A university, um, and I was lucky enough to just pick up one day at the end of my degree a, a magazine offering a, uh, an opportunity for a job working in Soho on computer graphics and computer animation. So I sort of jumped at this because I thought yeah, that just sounded exciting and I was young and impressionable at the time. And I got on in the very early days of, of computer animation. So that was sort of um, when you know, TV title sequences, the 6 o'clock news, the 9 o'clock news, all wanted computer-animated title sequences. So I got into it then. And you know, from those days of green grids and tumbling logos, we've now got to a point where we can do 
fully synthetic dinosaurs and people and people can age during, you know, synthetic ageing of, of actors and that sort of thing. So in the last 20 years, you know, things have come on a very long way. But, but I have to say, having that engineering background really was a... It, it, well, it was the only reason I got into this industry, because I had that engineering background. And uh, David, you, it, there was a mention there of sort of TV and uh, news programmes. You, you, you also have a, a, a sort of a, a background that involves broadcasting. Yeah, so I took a slightly different route. I did a HND in communications engineering for radio and television and then was lucky enough to join the BBC as a direct entry engineer and worked in news and current affairs, so working on live TV programmes uh, with cameras and videotape recorders and it was very hardware-based technology. All of the equipment was that you would engineer and connect together to build a system were, were all separate boxes and the engineering side of it was connecting them with the right cabling, with the right um, power and in, uh, hosting them in the right environment. And over the years, you know, I've, worked, I've moved into post-production in Soho and we've seen several uh, evolutions of technology um, that we have to carry on engineering to put, put all of these pieces together. So Obviously, you know, the current systems are on-premise, compute, network, storage and render. Um, But we are, as Roy said, moving to more cloud-based and remote data centres. And remote working for uh, people is a a key part of it. The the infrastructure, the internet, that's allowed people to not actually all have to come to the same place to, to collaborate on creative projects. So a lot of the engineering that we do is enabling people to collaborate on creative projects without having to be in the same physical location. So the role of an engineer has really changed over the year as a result of the changing technology, effectively. I think the technology that we support as engineers and that we um, we install and we maintain and we evolve has changed. But I, the, the role of an engineer is really a problem solver. Um, it's actually taking that technology and finding an application for it, um, whether that's a creative application or... Uh, purely uh, opt- a business a- application it's it's solving a workflow or a problem that a creative team has and then producing a solution to that problem and the technology will change over the years but the, the problem and the workflow is still the same where did you get the love of engineering from both of you um I got my probably love of engineering from my father and from sitting at home in my bedroom taking things apart and, and just being curious about how they work and what makes them tick and then putting them back together and trying to work out why I've got one piece left over. <laughs> um, yeah, similarly, my, my, my dad was a mechanical engineer. I was always the person in the family who would, who would fix the radio, who would you know, help my mum to, to, if anything broke in the house. Um, and you know, it, it just evolved from there. I was, I was very much into music. I, I, at the early my early days, I really wanted to get into radio. Um, but then, you know, when I had the opportunity to do, you know, things things on the telly or things on, on the movies, I, I absolutely jumped at it. You know, I, I I wanted to be doing technical things in a creative environment, and I think I'm lucky to be doing that today. And so, how did you actually end up where you are now? Um, well, as I say, I, 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 I was lucky enough to get this job in um, um, working in computer graphics, and then computer graphics has, has just evolved. I guess I'm lucky. I mean, I could have decided to, you know, specialise in something which, 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 which didn't go anywhere, but I was lucky enough to get in on the early, 
steps of the ladder in computer graphics and computer animation, and, and that has actually absolutely totally exploded over the last 20 years. So what makes a good visual effect? I know you've said it's if you don't notice it, but the sort of technicality in terms of whether it's... Because um, nowadays you can see hair on people's head and individual strands blowing in, in the wind. It's, it's much more detailed now. Yeah. Um, Who would like well, to answer that first? Sorry. Well, I'm just saying... Sorry, I'm sorry. Let me just do that, so I've got that. Yeah. Sorry, I was just saying that, um, you know, w- w- there was a time where, you know, when, when, you're, when you're creating the frames for, for your computer animation, these used to be done by a few computers in the machine room of a company like, like Moving Picture Company. But now, in order to, to work on the single frames required for a, a feature animation such as, say, The Lion King, you're talking ten, tens of hours per frame to render these. Um, and that's just not possible to do internally with a few computers on a shelf in a, in a place that they, we have to use the cloud. So, so being able to burst out into the cloud has actually, it's a, it's a game changer for, for companies similar to those that are owned by, by Technicolor. And as much as we've now got this infinite compute resource um, and we can gear up and crank up the, the quality um, so it's, you know, to, to produce these photoreal images now. So um, for me, what makes a good visual effects is something that adds to the story that the creatives are trying to tell. Um, and it was it was a time when the, you would be wowed by a visual effect because it would be something that you'd never seen, that you couldn't see. And it would be quite obvious that it was it was a statement piece. What, like Terminator 2 when it first came like, out, for instance, with the liquid metal Terminator? Yeah, that is so obviously a, a an effect and a, you know, a key part of the story as well. So... That would be a, an amazing visual effects. But the ones that really amaze me are the ones where you can't see it. So to get the lighting right, to match the camera move, one of the key things about 1917 is it's one long camera move. And being able to put um, computer-generated elements and environments into that camera move without noticing where it happens. So we actually do breakdown uh, videos of all of the parts that go into a visual effect, just so people can understand them. So, you know, if you're interested, you can search on YouTube and you can find those breakdowns and see all of the layers that go. And you know, I'm still amazed when you actually go back and look at what was shot on set and what it looks like when you see it in the movie theatre. 1917 is a pretty yeah. amazing film. Maybe not everyone perhaps has got round to seeing it just yet, but I'm sure it's on their list. Gladiator, that's been something that's been out a long time now. It's often on TV. What sort of visual effects were, were, were on there that uh, we might not have noticed at the time? Extending sets like the Colosseum. Obviously, we, we know a lot about what's left, but in the time of Gladiator, you have to replicate the whole Colosseum. So building the CG model and then interacting or uh, putting the actors within that set and making it look real. Because there is a difference, because sometimes when you watch um, Star Wars scenes, for instance... I, I think sometimes it's pretty obvious that a crowd has been duplicated, even though you might not see the join. Whereas it felt like when watching Gladiator, and maybe it was, there was a, a massive crowd, but um, that's where the extension is, is to give the sense of fullness without you noticing it. So I think that's a really good example. So those two systems will have changed over the years. So in Gladiator, it, it was a real crowd that were assembled as extras, and then, in, you know, as the Star Wars series evolved, 
crowd replication systems. So you can start to use gaming technology where you have um, automatons that are the crowd, and if they're far enough away, you don't realise that they are a digital crowd. So rather than just replicating the crowd, um, one of the classic things is to fill a stadium with um, a crowd, you can't get 10,000 people to fill a stadium. So you get 100 people to sit in a set of seats, and then you film them in every set of seats, and then you replicate it around the stadium. Now we can have computer-generated humans sitting in those seats, all waving, all animated, all following algorithms that make them look like a crowd. Now, we mentioned um, lighting, how important lighting is. And it's interesting, your father was a a lighting designer, wasn't he? Has that sort of come in, in useful in terms of your career? Not directly in my engineering, but I think it, as Roy was saying, it's that link between the creative process and providing the technology and the engineering behind that. Being in the the back room of a theatre and being backstage, I've always felt, you know, when you see the list of credits, there's there's hundreds of people that work on movies. And when you go to the theatre, you see the people on the sta- stage. But there are a lot of people backstage who are making it happen and making everything look seamless. So it's it's that being part of a team, working on a creative project, um, but not necessarily in front of the camera. Do, do you mind being effectively backstage, doing the stuff that people take for granted? Because if it's good, they do take it for granted? I remember my mum used to always, always complain, you know, why, isn't, why aren't your name on the credits? You know, why, why aren't you out there with the director? But, but in, in fact, you know, tell you the truth, I don't mind. What I do enjoy is just doing a, a technical job in a creative environment. When you were younger, you were involved in flight simulators as well, weren't you? I know you, you didn't mention it, but I do know. <laughs> well, the company that sponsored me through, through, through university were yeah, Rediffusion Flight Simulation. It used to be based down in Crawley. Part of my apprenticeship, I worked on the um, computer-generated visuals for, t- to train pilots. So even though, you know, in, in, a t- in a very, very, very small way, but the fact I had that on my CV really helped getting into this industry. Yeah. So you could talk it up a bit at the interview, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so how would you describe your, your day job, you know, now? Oh, my day job now is um, talking a lot. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, there was a time years ago I used to pick up a soldering iron and things, but long, you know, they're long gone. No, I, 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 I now um, spend a lot of time talking globally across all the Technicolor companies because I, you know, I'm looking after the, the infrastructure for all of them. And tempering some people's enthusiasm, but also um, finding crazy ways of doing things that somebody miles away might have suggested, and then bringing it back to the to the group and and saying, "This is an amazing idea. We should do this." And David, what about you? You work particularly in the advertising section, and uh, it's it's really some adverts now are mini short films and. There is a great tradition, like with Ridley Scott, of directors who started in advertising. Yeah, advertising is very fast-paced. They're much shorter timescale. Three months is a long project to make a 30-second commercial. But we have worked on longer longer formats. You know, Ridley Scott did the Hennessy commercial recently, and that's a long piece of work. It looks visually stunning. So they are mini, mini films. We work on the uh, John Lewis series of commercials, and they are always people are always keen to see what they're going to be. The Christmas ones. The Christmas ones, yeah. And those, um, you know, Buster the Dog and the Hedgehog and the Fox on the trampoline, Obviously, we didn't train a fox and a hedgehog to bounce on a trampoline. What a shame. What a shame. <laughs> I you know, don't want to, don't want to uh, dispel the illusion, but um, 
you know, those are the sorts of things. But as technology evolves, the engineering challenges evolve as well. So particularly for that one, John Lewis wanted to have a, a VR experience in store. So being based in near Oxford Street, we worked with John Lewis to put a visual a VR experience where you could put on a pair of gloves and it would sense where your hands were and you could actually train the animals on a trampoline to do backward flips if you did the right hand movement. And we had to try and match the real-time interactive technology of producing a VR experience to the visual quality that you can see in a non-real-time render for uh, the John Lewis commercial. And how has the, the engineering changed as well in terms of, of, of your work? Because the way we view ads, films, short films has totally changed the delivery formats you know the the number of platforms that we deliver to have changed so being able to ensure the color consistency and the quality you know we've had standard definition and high definition and we're all moving to 4k and high dynamic range and tvs are going oled so it's a constant evolving target and that's one of the things that i love about it it's not the static engineering where you just get better and better at the same thing it's really that cha- always chasing the the technology technology evolution and when ads are sold all over the world how do how do you use visual effects to ensure that the ads are compliant say both in europe versus the middle east versus say china because sensibilities can be quite different in each place yeah, there's a there's a whole piece of versioning that goes on to make sure that you meet local compliance. Different regions have different um, ways of uh, approving commercials. The internet is obviously a lot less regulated than some of the the other platforms. So you have to be really careful that what you you put into a, uh, the final delivery is what. Is what what is broadcastable? Yeah, I mean it is quite a a, bi- a big sort of part of of uh, what's done in, in advertising. Um, in as much as the versioning and adaptation for multiple versions that go around the world, you might produce a single, say, Nike commercial, but then make 150 or so different versions that go around the world. Obviously, different uh, regions need. Um, have different um, acceptances of what's decent and what's not. So a, a bikini in a commercial that might be good for Europe wouldn't wouldn't work for the for the Middle East, for instance. So you know a lot of commercials then get adapted. Um, you change number plates on cars. You have to um, um, you know change the, the the weather conditions that are more suitable for certain regions and not other regions. You just have to be you know aware of the fact that something that might be accepted in one region wouldn't be accepted in a different region. And this is done with visual effects, say. So if someone's mm. a woman's showing a shoulder, which might not be acceptable mm. in the Middle East, you would cover it with visual effects. Yes, absolutely. Various techniques that are used using a lot of software. So, you know, if, if people know what Photoshop is, the, a lot of the VFX software that's used by, by film and advertising is, is, is like that, plus, plus more. Both MPC and Technicolor have been around a long time now, seeing tremendous changes in the industry in terms of format and how film and adverts are actually produced. What would you say has been you know, one of the, the biggest changes most recently, say, in the way that you do your work? I think the internet has had the, big, the biggest change, the way that you deliver to multiple, multiple distribution and multiple platforms. There's still the 30-second TV commercial, 
but advertising has broadened out and has you know become more direct more targeted more uh following algorithms it's got shorter so if you're watching youtube and you can skip after three seconds you don't have i to, do yeah you don't have you to. won't don't like don't want to hear that though, do you? so you have to it's about engaging so advertising is about giving a message normally it's a message to sell but th- those messages are changing and visual effects and the work that post-production companies can do can actually help tell that story and get a message message across so that that's how it's changed so the, the the clients that we have are changing from working with through agencies direct with big brands big brands want to get messages out working with public information and and actually showing images that to tell a story and get a message across that you couldn't do by going and doing a shoot. Well, things have moved a hell of a lot, haven't they? Technicolor, years and years and years ago, got its name from the, the three-strip film camera. For Wizard of Oz, for instance, was, was, was Technicolor, wasn't it? So, uh, and now we're talking about um, you know, how to use the cloud, or um, we're now talking about um, the, the convergence, for instance, between gaming engines, what, what gaming engines are doing compared to um, um, computer animation. Doing things and real-time playback of, of, of animation is, is getting better and better and better. So, you know, that's going to be a very, very significant way that we produce VFX in the future, I'm sure. The convention of, of gaming and, and um, what people see at the cinema. So what sort of engineers now do you tend to, to want within this business? Well, there's a sort of a, a new breed of um, t- technical people coming along these days. We're, we're calling them like cr- creative technologists. So this is a person that uh, can not only go home and sit in his garage and, and build something with a soldering iron, but also come in and be able to sort of hold his head up and, and, and be um, influential in, in a meeting with, with agency creatives or brands, for instance, coming up with crazy ideas to get, get their, uh, their brand and their name across. There, there's absolutely definitely a need for technical people who enjoy and also have a something to say in in the creative process. Now I couldn't help noticing that you you said he there, but uh, I assume this, I hope it equally applies to to women in this uh, industry. Absolutely, we, we have loads of, of women working at the company, and um, you know that absolutely helps the, uh, the, the 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 gender mix. Same at MPC, we have a, a diverse group of people and that helps with the creativity and the problem solving. You need lots of different approaches in order to create the best workflows. So does this mean that science subjects, the traditional, you know, maths, physics, chemistry, but also maybe an arts subject, maybe like product design that mixes the two, or going left of field, something completely different works for 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 this industry. Absolutely, yes. If there's anyone out there who has all those skills you just mentioned, have a, have a word with us. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, as Roy said, the, the types of engineers, the problem solvers, people with an interest and a curiosity of how things work and how they can be put together differently to achieve a different outcome. Software has become a big part of it. So people with coding skills, but you don't have to be a, a computer programmer per se that you can learn enough to do it. So people have experimented with Arduino and, and those home kits where you just get something to do something. That's in, what my son's world. currently doing, actually, and I'd never heard of Arduino until he'd got one. Yeah, it's that experimentation, putting things together. What we're seeing is there's a lot of information and data streams that you can tap into, and you can use those data streams to influence visual effects. What's the visual effect, then, that you're both most proud of that you know you uh, 
directly or indirectly involved that you just thought, wow, whether it's a wand in Harry Potter. And in fact, didn't you put steam on some some of the the steam trains sometimes? Steam trains, yeah. So there's, there's lots of those that you just think... Without that visual effect, it wouldn't be believable. My personal favourite, I, I like the sci-fi genre as well. We worked on Passengers and the, the swimming pool in Zero Gravity, where the water f- comes out of the, the swimming pool and it floats in space. You know, I just think that is inspired and you couldn't really do it. So it's obviously a visual effect, but it involves fluid dynamics, it involves rendering particles to look real in Zero Gravity. The thing I'm like the most i mean and i had a tiny 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 part to play in it is is just lion king if anyone who's seen lion king how many people watch it and think those creatures are real and i'm very happy with that but i mean my engineering wise we we did a bit in terms of it rendering it all in the cloud but um the the artistry and the the um the creativity is all down to the incredible people that work at technicolor and it's it's easy to forget that the lion king is purely digital Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So it's all in a computer, effectively? Oh, of course, absolutely, yeah. Um, and even the pre-production and the, the, um, that was done in order to sort of work out all the shots were all done using gaming engines, for instance. So, again, that, that shows the, how, how the two are converging. And you've given some advice in terms of engineers who are interested in, in going into this industry. Do you think people could ever get here through the conventional roles that you came through? Or is it now, it's, it's sort of like you said, gamers as much as creative technologists now. We've, engineering has, in this industry, has moved on to create a sort of new breed of engineering. I think you could still follow that path. I think it's actually, there are lots of paths into what we do. It's a collection of like-minded people who want to work with creativity and technology. So a broad interest and curiosity and a desire to work in this industry will will get you far. Yes, absolutely. Um, I was just thinking that there's, there's, there's people at, um, at the mill, for instance, um, who just program hair shaders so their 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 speciality is working out how pieces of hair fall over other pieces of hair and how light refracts through it so there's a hell of a lot of 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 physics involved in that and, and science but they work on it because they know that what they do will ultimately end up in in being something that that contributes towards a visual effect Roy Trosh from Technicolor London and David Spilsbury from the Moving Picture Company. Thank you both for sharing your fascinating engineering careers on the Create the Future podcast.